This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to all the way to work. David Bassett. Welcome to episode five of Extra Innings presented by Corona Extra, the official cerveza of La Vida Mas Fina. Find the fine life. Please drink responsibly. Corona Extra beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. We have Andre Ethier back for episode five. He was down in Mexico for his birthday. Yeah, he's one of those guys that likes to celebrate his birthday for two weeks. So he went on some foodie three-day tour of San Miguel. So we'll talk to Ethier coming up in just about 10 minutes as we uh, we want to reflect back on those seven games against the San Diego Padres. The Dodgers are still kind of banged up with Zach McKinstry out with an oblique strain. He's going to be out probably another 15 to 20 days. Cody Bellinger is headed to Arizona to continue his rehab. He's going to swing the bat, do some uh, throwing, and maybe a little light jogging. He's just got to wait for that left fibula, that microfracture, to heal before he can start running. And uh, they can't come soon enough because the Dodgers are definitely somewhat thinner than they would be with Bellinger and McKinstry and in and out and in between Lux, Taylor, they've been out, Pollock's been out. So uh, this is uh, one of those parts of the season that the Dodgers just have to weather and keep their head above water and be able to move on when they get Bellinger and McKinstry back in their starting lineup. For the Dodgers, um, I think everybody's still buzzing about that seven-game series against the San Diego Padres. You know, the one thing that struck me about that series, especially the four games at Dodger Stadium, either one of those games could have gone the other way. The last game on Sunday night, that was maybe the most disappointing, and I thought Charlie Steiner said it best after the game that night, that that loss, the Dodgers ahead 7-1 to one after six innings and losing it in 11, it was going to leave a mark. And I don't care what anybody says, that's a tough one to swallow if it's April, if it's June, if it's September. That's not a game the Dodgers lose. And in fact, they haven't lost a game like that since August of 2011. That's the last time the Dodgers lost a game being ahead by six runs. So that is something that doesn't happen and hasn't occurred uh, during this streak of eight consecutive NLS championships. And the other part of this is the Dodgers, uh, I, I would say, were a little bit on their heels in those four games at Dodger Stadium where Fernando Tatis Jr. hit five home runs in the series and ran wild against them all series long. In fact, the Padres ran wild on the Dodgers in their first seven meetings, 18 stolen bases, including six on Sunday night baseball, five on Saturday night. So 11 stolen bases in two games and it's not on the catchers it's actually on the Dodgers pitchers they've got to at least look at these base runners a little bit I mean just look at them they weren't even looking at these base runners 
And you saw the Reds, the first game of the series against the Reds, they're a home run hitting team. They don't steal bases. And they stole two bases off the Dodgers. So this is something that Dodger pitchers are going to have to get better at. I know Trevor Bauer posted on his YouTube vlog that he is working on having a better motion to home plate so he gets the ball to uh, the catcher quicker than what he's doing right now, delivering it to home plate quicker than what he's doing right now. But at the very least, you got to look at these guys, especially their middle relievers. It was it was egregious what I was seeing. Bruce Stark Gratterall not even looking. Uh, Kenley Jansen not even looking. Uh, the Kenley Jansen dynamic is it's not as big of a problem as your starting pitcher and your middle relievers because if Kenley's coming into the game, yeah, you don't want the runner getting into the scoring position, but uh, he's probably protecting a one- or two-run lead, and his job is to get the batter out at the plate, and if he does that, the stolen bases are negated. So for me, the Kenley ninth-inning stuff is not as big of a deal as what's happening before the ninth inning. And by the way, speaking of Kenley Jansen, here's a rhetorical question. Why do I have to answer for Kenley Jansen every time he blows a save? Even the great Hall of Fame broadcaster, Jaime Harin, after Monday night's uh, home run to Jesse Winker, as I'm getting ready for Dodger talk, he pokes his head into the radio booth here before I start the show and says, your guy, Jansen, your guy, Jansen. And I'm like, now I got a Hall of Famer wanting me to answer for Kenley Jansen. I got I got callers wanting me to answer for him. Uh, look, Kenley Jansen is not the same guy he was in 2016 or 2017. I'm very aware of that. Um, he's not a sure thing every time he comes into the ninth inning, no doubt. But I would still say uh, if you had to draw a line, he's in the upper tier of closers in the National League. There's no doubt about that. He's still good enough to do it during the regular season. And I thought the pitch he made to Winker was a really hard pitch to hit over the wall in left field, but Winker is really good right now, and he is a good player, and he hit it over the left field wall. But, man, even Jaime Harin is asking me to answer for Jansen now. Anyway, Andre Ethier is going to join us in a little bit, but I want to let you hear what Trevor Bauer had to say about Fernando Tatis Jr. peeking in on him before he hit his second home run on Saturday night in that game three of the four-game series against the Padres. I thought it was great, the theatrics between Bauer and Tatis Jr., but I do have a problem when a fan posted video showing Tatis Jr. trying to take a peek at the signs. So the remedy is, if you look back at the signs, that's fine, and there's no rule that says I can't stick a fastball in your ribs. Uh, and that's kind of how it's been handled traditionally, in baseball uh, up until this point. Now, flip the bat and do all that stuff, fine. If you're gonna look at the signs, not okay. And if you do it again, like the team that you're playing probably ain't gonna take too kindly to it and there might have to be some on-field stuff. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case here because I don't mind it. Like, I'm gonna send my message here and, and tell them that's not okay. But uh, Kind of the unwritten rules, that is disrespecting your opponent, looking at their signs, stuff like that, whereas the bad flips and celebrating with your teammates is uh, is fine. Yeah, I, I agree with Trevor Bauer wholeheartedly, except for the fact that he's only going to talk about it and not do anything about it. That's my problem with it. That's so passive-aggressive. If you really had a problem with it, 
number one, you wouldn't put it out there publicly so everybody knows now that you have a problem with it. So when you do, if you wanted to hit Fernando Tatis Jr. the next time you faced him, you're probably going to be thrown out of the game because of premeditation. So his vlog worked against him, but he said it himself. He is not going to be the one to hit Tatis Jr., which I have a problem with. He's, he peeked in against you. He didn't peek in against Kershaw or Dustin May or Walker Bueller. He peeked in against you. So you should take care of it. You're the pitcher. It's not like you're a right fielder. You have control of the game. So maybe in this case, if he did have any feelings about even brushing back Tatis Jr., he probably is going to get warned or thrown out of a game now. So that is so passive-aggressive by Trevor Bauer, who I like, and I love his platform with the YouTube. So uh, for me, I think he should have taken things into his own matter, kept his mouth shut, and when the Dodgers play the Padres, I would assume Bauer will pitch in that series in June and take matters into your own hand. So that was that was disappointing, and um, I don't know. I just feel like baseball right now, you got to allow the players to police themselves. And uh, I think that's that's one of the problems with the game right now. And that's why you're not seeing as much action. You're not seeing as much personality. It's because they are not allowing these guys to police themselves. And going back to this whole Padres-Dodgers rivalry, yes, it's great this year. And it was good last year as well. But a rivalry is built over a number of years and a number of back and forth playoff series, heartbreakers, division races, pennant races. The Dodgers have that with the Giants and St. Louis Cardinals in the National League. They also used to have it with the Cincinnati Reds, who used to be in the NL West. You go back to the big red machine, the last team to win back-to-back World Series championships from the National League, they were dominating the mid-70s until the Dodgers were able to complement their infield with guys like Reggie Smith, Rick Monday, Dusty Baker, and oh, by the way, a guy by the name of Fernando Valenzuela got them over the ultimate hump in 1981. But the Dodgers won the division 77 and 78, dethroning the big red machine. That's a rivalry. And it continued in the 80s when Eric Davis and Barry Larkin were on the red side. The Dodgers did not like them. Mike Marshall, Oral Hershiser, Mike Sosha did not like those guys. And then into the late 80s and 90s, same thing. Division races between the Dodgers and Reds, uh, the Nasty Boys, Tom Browning, all those guys. There was a real rivalry and hate between those two franchises and it just got passed on to the next generation of players and then it got neutered when they went to three divisions and the Reds went to the NL Central but here's what Rick Monday had to say he was part of what he likes to call the big blue wrecking crew dethroning the big red machine he played in that rivalry and against guys like Johnny Bench when you talk about rivalries, the Reds and Dodgers, you guys had a serious one going. Yeah, it was. And uh, for the Reds, I mean, they've, they've always had high expectations uh, as a city and, and, and wonderful, uh, you know, wonderful tradition also uh, in the baseball end of it. And it, it is kind of neat to, uh, to see what they were doing because if you think back to the 70s, 
up until 1977, I mean, it was it was the big red machine, and boy, they what a machine that they had with uh, future Hall of Famers around that ball club. And they really kind of set the tone, uh, not only in the Western Division, but in baseball, to look at what a team could do. And if you look at those teams, they were able to stay together for a number of years. You know, you didn't have free agency that was going to interrupt uh, the longevity as much as it might do it right now. And then in 1977, of course, the Dodgers won the National League Championship uh, along in 1978. And then uh, it kind of turned over and went from the, uh, the big red machine to the big blue wrecking crew in what they were talking about. And I remember Sparky Anderson coming out and, and saying it was one of the things that Sparky later on said, I wish I had not even said it because in 77 before a game in Cincinnati, it was a ball club that we had that was really getting close to one another. I mean, uh, friendships, not just teammates, but friendships. And we all went down the left field line and, and we began this thing before the game started that all eight of the position players would run at the same time to get our legs stretched out. And there was a quote from Sparky Anderson that said, oh, look at him. Yeah, by the, uh, by the All-Star break, they'll all be running in eight different directions. And Tommy Lasorda said after the, the season, he says, yeah, they ran to eight different banks to cash in the World Series shares. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of things that went on, but you knew when you went into Cincinnati or the Reds came into your ballpark, you better get ready because you were going to see baseball played and baseball played very well. Speaking of that rivalry, when Tommy Lasorda took over, I've heard stories that he forbid anybody or any of his players to wear the color red when they walked into the clubhouse. Is that a true story? Let me put it this way. I have not had anything in my wardrobe um, that has been red up until last year when my bride gave me a striped shirt that had red in it. And I said it was beautiful, but uh, I made sure that if I that if I wore, you know, last year we didn't have a whole lot of people in the ballpark because of the COVID. Very few of the employees. I knew Tommy wasn't going to be here, but I didn't dare wear it to the ballpark. You might wear it somewhere else, but it's absolutely true. Is that if you wore red or orange for that matter, the Giants colors. Uh, you got more than just weird looks as you if you walked into the locker room. In fact, you might have to wear an undershirt home. Uh, after the game if you left it unattended. Rick, another question I've never asked you over the course of the years that we've been doing this is about Johnny Bench. You played against him. How good was he and why was he's, Why did he become the greatest catcher that many people believe? Well, he received played? the ball well because he played well on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, and I think the other part, the intangibles, is able to think about the game. If we're looking at catchers, I actually put Steve Yeager Yes, is a roommate of mine and teammate of mine. The quickness behind the plate, I thought they were they were pretty much uh, even. Uh, if you look at bench, when I went over to the National League, for example, I was told, hey, look out for bench. He'll, he'll throw to any base. Well, I didn't really believe it that much. I got picked off at third base by Johnny Bench in Chicago playing for the Cubs. It was like my first month in the, in the, the National League and coming over for the American League. And it went back to the dugout. Leo DeRocher was the manager. He was not really happy, nor was I happy at all. I mean, I was embarrassed. And I said, uh, and I looked at, I looked at Johnny, and uh, I got to know him a little bit. And I told him at one particular time, thank you, because I learned a lot. There was one other guy in baseball that embarrassed me that I said thank you to later on. And that was Willie Mays. Willie Mays in, uh, in Chicago, and it was towards the end of his career. But Willie, even though he did not have the speed that he once had when he was a younger player, he could do everything. I mean, he could do everything. 
one of the most talented players I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he got a base hit to left center field or to right center field at Wrigley Field. I just joined the Cubs again. And he made a wide turn at first base. And I had a pretty good throwing arm. I went, aha, I got you. No, he got me because as soon as I threw the first base or throwing behind him, it was planned. He was baiting me, and he knew just how far he could go off, and he wound up going to second base on the throw. And the next day I said, I want to thank you very much. And he goes, uh, for what? I said, you taught me a lesson. It will not happen again. That is a real rivalry. Dodgers-Reds. Dodgers-Padres, if I ask Rick Monday about some battles between the Padres, does that even register? That would be a silly question, and he might even throw me out of the broadcast booth. So in case you don't know about Dodger rivalries in the National League, Giants, Cardinals, Reds. Those are their rivals, and the Reds are no longer their rivals because they're in the NL Central, but when they were in the NL West, they were real rivals. And the Padres are really good. Uh, but I wouldn't consider them a rivalry because it hasn't taken place over the course of a number of years. They've kind of been an afterthought. They're the little brother to the south, and the Dodgers are the big brother that have dominated them since their inception in 1969. So, sorry, that's the way it goes. Great city. Uh, baseball team's been a little shaky over the course of the last uh, 20 or 30 years. My favorite. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to see you're not wearing khakis. Your favorite. And not everyone holds themselves to a high physical standard around here, but... Uh, Probably not Vasse's favorite. I know no one listens to your show, so... <laughs> <laughs> How so, dare you? <laughs> Just kidding. DV is joined by Andre Ethier. Well, he's back. We have a right-handed starter tonight, so we will have Andre Ethier uh, come back on Episode 5 after being on a big family foodie trip last week in Mexico. So thanks a lot for coming back. It's all safe now. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know, especially when, when he announced that, that that left-hander was thrown. I knew I had to get out of town. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, uh, headed down to uh, San Miguel de Allende for uh, a nice little – actually, you know, my, my birthday. I know you wished me happy birthday there couple weeks before that but we did a belated uh, birthday trip my wife took me on and uh we went down there and had a little uh food and tequila tasting in the the town of san miguel and it was a great nice uh little three-day getaway are you that guy that celebrates his birthday for two weeks i mean come on if you don't get that trip within the week i mean forget about it until next year you don't have to string this out does it have to be on the week? I mean, sorry that I have four kids and my wife. I'll let her know that uh, it was a bad thing she did by taking me out on a trip. I'll let her know that, Dave, all right? No, I'm not I'm not going against your uh, wife. I'm going uh, against, <laughs> against a guy that's over 35 that celebrates his birthday for two weeks. Hey, I didn't celebrate for two weeks. She just put it off for two weeks because that was the first <laughs> weekend we had where we had no baseball games for our 12- and 10-year-old. We had a sitter lined up. Uh, are actually not a sitter, but my my mom lined up to be able to stay with them for the couple days, and uh, and luckily the stars aligned, and we were able to get away for three days and uh, enjoy a little uh, time together in uh, down in uh, San Miguel, and uh, like you know, I, I enjoy a good meal and especially good uh, tequila on the rock. 
Yeah, so what was this? Was it all laid out for you, where to go eat every day for every meal? Was this like some sort of guided tour through the the best food of San Miguel? Uh, yes, she actually did. She did a great job. We She set up uh, uh, Casa Dragonis, one of the taquitos I really like. She set up a their tasting room is in San Miguel. She set up like a two-hour tasting uh, of tequila, which is, you know, she had to really twist my arm to get me to go do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we did a two-hour tequila tasting. And then after that, immediately, we went on a three-hour uh, tequila or not. Uh, yes, uh, a tequila and taco tour of oh. five different restaurants in the town of uh, San Miguel. So needless to say, by about 6 o'clock that night, I was passed out uh, back at the, at the room, put to sleep pretty well, and uh, look, you know, uh, reminiscing on my great day I had in San Miguel. Yeah, no kidding. Not just the tequila, but I'm sure the food put you to sleep too. What was the best taco oh, you great. had? It was great. It was actually a uh, vegan. They had this, it was Don Julio Taco, and they had this vegan satin, or I don't know how you say it, satin. It's like a meat alternative that was like a a passed off as a pastor uh, resemblance, and it tasted just like a pastor taco. I mean, everything was great that we tasted. Everything there was unbelievable, but... I didn't know until like we had, I took my first bite and uh, Alma, who was our, our guide of the city, local resident of San Miguel, took his place and she's like, what did you think about that for my first bite? I was like, yeah, it tastes really good. And she's like, that's a vegan Saiten taco. And I'm like, what? I'm like, this is unbelievable. So it tasted really good. And it was probably the most surprising thing I had. And yes, it was a great trip, a lot of fun. Um, but right-hander back on the mound and you know, I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do I have to wish you a happy birthday again, even though your birthday was two weeks ago? Should Are you going to be offended hey, if I don't wish you happy birthday right now? It's my birthday month, all right? There's still a couple of days left. <laughs> hey, this, is my last, this is my last birthday before 40, so I'm hanging on, all right? I know. Geez, how are you going to top this one uh, by going to Mexico? I don't know how you make your 40th birthday a bigger bash than that. I don't know if you celebrate 40 anymore. So uh, Yeah, you do. That's, that's your last big we're, one. We're blowing out 39s, my wife said. So she's uh, she said we're going to blow out 39 for you. Don't ask for anything next year. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I think you milked her enough for this uh, for this birthday. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to top you, though, this week. I'm, uh, I'm having a, a dinner with Jerry West this week. Oh. So I feel like I, I, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. What are you doing? Hold the microphone for someone while they're while they're having dinner with them? <laughs> yeah, it's not like I set up the dinner. I was invited along with Jerry West. We have a mutual friend that uh, I don't that, believe. I don't believe it. For what I'm going to need a pick to prove it. That how about you if are, I Facetime you at dinner? Do you want to want me to Facetime you? I think you're going to be standing six feet away holding the mic, boom, uh, <laughs> while the while the dinner's going on for some type of filming or something like that. Uh, yeah, while you're having uh, dinner with Johnny's baseball dad, I'll be having dinner with Jerry West. Hey, d- hey, don't mind my my hot my golden hot wings I get from Zips uh, <laughs> while I wait for baseball practice to be over. Oh man, hey, I got a tip for you. Why don't you uh, why don't you hook up with Cody Bellinger? He's heading to Arizona while the team's on this road trip, so maybe you and Cody could reconnect. 
Uh, I know. What? What is? I, I actually have been connected with him. I connected with him right uh, when it was announced about his injury there, and you know, I had something uh, similar to him. Obviously, mine was a little bit more uh, severe, you know, the injury I had, but you know, definitely similar in injury. So I know uh, I reached out to him to text him. I had a few guys, uh, you know, on the medical staff ask me, uh, you know, just you know, what was my frame of mind after hearing something like that, and. Um, yeah, I mean, tough, tough break for him. I, I, I reviewed the play, and I mean, did you, I, I did not see that happening, and that being the result from stepping on the bag the way he did. And uh, I know he, you know, definitely disheartened. But um, I guess the greatest thing is he has age on his side, and he should be back and good to go here in a few weeks. It's just one of those things that it, I think it's just a tough spot to try to come back too early. That's that was what something I had the experience of having an, uh, you know, a lower leg injury like that. You know what I heard, Dre? You broke your tibula. He has a hairline fracture in his, in his fibula. Face. And yeah. if he, if he would have broke it in the same spot, he would have been out a lot longer than what they're talking about right now. 100%. And I think uh, I forgot the term they call it, but I guess hockey players have it done to them a ton. Um, for me, obviously side side stopping but when puck on the outside of their legs sometimes they get these little hairline fractures and they obviously keep skating through it but yeah when you break your uh you know your your tibia like i did um i mean talk about a debilitating injury i you know somewhere you try to grit through it but there's nothing you can do it's such a a main weight bearing thing that you know every athletic move you make out on baseball has to do with that uh bone which Yes, I think the same thing. The, the, on the bright side is it's a non-major weight-bearing part of his leg. Um, I think he'll be able to come back a lot sooner than later. Um, but it's obviously one where you don't want any reoccur. You don't want it to come back and uh, have another flare-up uh, down the road. So I think uh, time's on his side. Definitely it's still early enough in the season where he has to go through the, you know, not a rushed process to get him back on the field as soon as quickly as possible because, uh, you know, middle end of the season is approaching. Hey, he told me that uh, I, well, actually I told him when I ran into him, we were driving into the ballpark at the same time and we stopped and talked for a little bit. I said, Hey, why don't you go over to Dre's house? He's got a batting cage over there. And he's like, I got one too. Yeah. He just uh, moved into a, uh, I don't want to have to share it for him, but yeah, I think he, he moved into a nice little house down in, uh, you know, South of Phoenix here and, has a batting cage, a, a basketball court in there, and it's a nice little setup he has. And uh, but I, I think they're going to probably have a close look at him at Camelback Ranch every day. He has to show up and do his stuff, and um, you know it's, it's going to be a it's going to be a very uh, you know monotonous road here for the next couple of weeks for him to just to get back and make sure he's doing the right steps to go. And um, I, you know, I, I guess to parlay it into is I think we both can see we've texted each other back and forth. This team definitely needs him in the lineup right now. I think there's a definitely void uh, of him not being in the lineup right now, and I think we can all see that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, this is, you know this, Don Mattingly always used to say, it's not about just the team that you're playing in their record, it's when you're catching them. And these teams are catching the Dodgers at a bad time without Bellinger, without Zach McKinstry, Chris Taylor, and Gavin Lux just came back. So if you want to, I guess if this is the time to play the Dodgers out of any time this season. 
Yeah, I mean, you can't demean anything these other guys have come in and filled and done. But when you have, you know, this frame of mind, this this outlook to the start of the season in spring training, that these are the guys we're going to go with, and this is the team we're going to go get the job done with. And, you know, injuries happen, bangles, but when you're missing a good chunk of that offense and that chemistry and, you know, how you, uh, you know, have a ebb and flow off of the guys hitting in front of you guys hitting behind you. And that's constantly being uh, changed because of those injuries. So it's, it's tough to get that offense in a groove and get it going. And, um, and then on the reverse side, it adds so much pressure on that bullpen, on that, uh, you know, on that pitching staff to go out and perform, um, you know, perfectly every time. Cause there's not a big, large gap of, uh, of mistakes and, and, uh, you know, air on their side because, you know, they're, they're in such tight ball games all the time because, you know, there's just something where the offense isn't able just to put games away and, and, and give the lead that they need to go out there and, and have that comfortable lead that, uh, you know, sometimes those pitch staffs need can't be in high pressure leverage situations throughout the whole year. It, uh, it's taxing on those bullpens. Hey, Dre, uh, everybody's still buzzing about those first seven games between the Dodgers and Padres. Uh, I even drop my kids off, and teachers come up to my window on a car drop-off, and I have to answer for the team. That's how much people are into it. I go to drop off my other son at preschool, and I see a dad wearing a Padres hat. Did you have a chance to watch that four-game series especially? And uh, actually, we haven't even talked to you uh, since the Dodgers and Padres played at Petco Park. So what did you make of those first seven meetings between the Dodgers and Padres? Yeah, I got a chance to, you know, watch. Uh, but first of all, who's the dad wearing the Padres hat? At? I know, What's right? On, Get your school under control. <laughs> you know, let's go. I, I text, I text our, our buddy, Lon Rosen, the other day. We are, our, our kid's school had uh, – Sports and the uh, whatever you know day at school sports. What are your favorite sports team? And I we were I was very surprised when I was walking on campus to drop my uh, my daughter off to her kindergarten class. I mean there was fifteen sixteen shirts with you know kids with Dodger shirts on at school that day, and I was you know kind of bragging them how uh, there's a lot more Dodger shirts than Diamondbacks or any other shirts being represented at school. So. Um, for you to be in L.A. and have a dad wearing Padres, shame on you, Dave. Shame on you. I'm, so, I have uh, to answer for that dad now? Yes, for sure, 100%. 100%. But you know what? We're talking about the Padres series, so that's for you to live with and go home and dwell on. <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> what did yes, you think about I, the I, actual I, games? I mean, you made such a great statement before all this that the Dodgers could really get a mental edge over San Diego if they beat them in these first two series, and it hasn't worked out that way. Uh, you know, I, I got a chance to watch, I think, six out of the seven from start to finish. And, yeah, I mean, it's exactly how everyone thought it would, and they showed on paper, and you see all this analytical matchup stuff, and is it really that close? I, I, it is. It really is that close. Um, you know, the, you got to give a lot of credit for um, – you know, for San Diego to come and not be intimidated to get, you know, have the outcome they had in the playoffs last year, um, getting swept in the playoffs by the Dodgers and to come back, you know, even more hungry and to, you know, not just be complacent on April games and, and have something to prove and do that. But, you know, uh, at the same time, I think we hit it at the beginning of this podcast is 
the Dodgers are banged up there and they're still what I see out there a superior product to what the Dodgers or what the Padres are putting out. So with that, um, they still have the edge. The Padres had to play perfect baseball, had to do all the right things, had to have these comeback games, had to have things bounce their way just to win series while the Dodgers were just kind of skipping and missing beats and, and, and they were in every game. So, um, yeah, let's see what happens this next round when hopefully we get Cody back, we get team back healthy, um, you know, and, and things settle in and, uh, you know, Dodgers still on top. Dodgers are number one in NOS for a reason. And uh, I think it's uh, going to be a great season watching the rest of the games against the Padres. The one thing that is hard for me to reconcile, Dre, is how the Dodger pitchers did not pay attention to the Padres' base runners. They stole 18 bases off the Dodgers in seven games, six and five in the last two at Dodger Stadium. I know baseball has changed a little bit, but if a team is taking advantage of you not paying attention to them, I mean, that was just somewhat embarrassing in my opinion. Yeah, that was alarming. It definitely was. When when I get a text from a buddy of mine's dad who is just a, you know, couch manager and loves watching the game, and, he's, and the only thing he texts me is over is, why are they still in so many bases on the Dodgers? And I'm kind of laughing. And, I, and I, it didn't really register until he kind of said that. And then I looked at the stat and I was like, wow. I'm like, that is. So, yeah, obviously they have something. They found something. They've discovered something. And whether it's the catchers or the pitchers that are having these, you know, extended times to home or our catchers, uh, you know, pop times behind home plate or something that they can expose. But that's what you get when you have an aggressive a uh, young, quick team like the Padres, who are uh, willing to take the you know the chance to go out there and get base runners, uh, you know, advancing on steals and 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 jeopardize you know being thrown out. But Dodgers haven't been successful in in Wharton that you know off, so they're doing it, and um, I think it's something um, not only the Padres are going to do, it, the teams are going to keep doing because now that the cat's out of the bag and it's been shown that that you can do that, I think more teams are going to start going after that, and it's something that the team's going to have to address. Dre, did you have a chance to see the video on Sunday morning of Tatis Jr. doing a little peek on Saturday night against Trevor Bauer to see what pitch was coming? What What did you make of that, and is that one of the worst things you can do uh, as a hitter to try to peek? Yeah, I don't, and I didn't understand. Was he peeking? Because he peeked awful early. And, yeah. I, and there's no way there's no way he could have got the sign because it was too quick of a glance. So he's purely looking for location, but the ca- catcher wasn't even set up in the location yet. But yeah, I mean, this is where and you know, un- and then you know, hear the talk, right, Dave? Unwritten rules, the written rules, all this. Let the kids play. This is where it starts to get in gray lines and, and gray territories. How far do you let guys go? How far do you let things keep going down the road? They're going to allow players to just, you know, do it, throw bats into the stands after a home run, do that stuff. It's all great. It's all fun. Uh, but there comes a point where you just can't keep letting guys do stuff like that, where, you know, hey, I'm going to look to try to get ahead uh, to do that. Um, yeah, I think. 
I didn't necessarily see what his comments are of what he was doing. I don't think he even denied it, right? He didn't he deny ne- it. Yeah, he never denied it. He never said anything about it. So I guess silence was deafening. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll see what the silencing, deafening result is, uh, you know, from what the Dodgers take, you know, on their side of dealing with that. So, um, yeah, it's just one where um, the guy obviously got caught doing it, but that goes along the line of how many pitches are out there, uh, you know, putting sticky stuff on the ball to increase their spin rate and doing all this stuff. It's just there's a long line. And, you know, thing of guys do to get an edge in the game and, you know, the increase of, you know, with cameras out there with more focus on these guys, there's going to be more and more times that guys get caught doing stuff. Honestly, I felt like Dustin May should have at least brushed him back, if not hit him on that uh, Sunday night baseball game. I don't know how you feel about it, but I – you know, I just think, like you said, you you can't allow teams to, number one, steal 18 bases on you and then punk you by trying to peek at signs, especially after what happened in 2017. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you it's such a fine line, right, Dave? I mean, you you it's a part of the game, hitting people. But, you know, I, you know I, I'm going to go back on that, too. I do not like the way MLB is handling some of these suspensions doling out right now. It is bugging me. I mean, do you saw the Adam Eaton stuff? The guy, you know, rightfully so, was getting, like, pushed off the bag, kind of got up in the guy's face, and he gets a multi-game suspension for that because, you know, they're trying to nip stuff in the butt, butt right now and, and be proactive and be overly stance about having, you know, these aggressive stuff. So I, it's just – and I and I probably ended up saying – what does that lead to Dustin May getting possible suspended for uh, or to guys on a team? Um, but, but at the same time, you got to have it stop. You can't have teams ex- abusing and thinking uh, that the Dodgers are just going to put up with it and go with it. Yeah, you're right. I feel like Major League Baseball is not allowing players to police the game. And even when you first started in Major League Baseball, Dre, it, it has changed quite a bit from where you ended. Don't, don't you think the players need to police themselves a little bit more? Well, 100, how many times did you used to see, and I hate to be this to talk like this, right? Like, in my days, right, I hate that. Like, But how many times did you see, like, a guy get brushed back or a guy got hit? And you know it was retaliatory. You know darn well it was. And – there was a warning and maybe the guy got a letter and that was it. Now it comes with a one or two game suspension or a three game suspension. And the managers get suspended for everyone's getting suspended for that. Whether the pitch was intentional or not, or, you know, a guy's getting in each other's face out rightfully. So things get heated in the moment of the game and that's part of the game. And yeah, some grudges go too far, but most of the time they get brushed you know, aside over the course of the season and things move on. And is this baseball stance to make it like that side of the game totally non-existent and just move on? That's what appears to me. Uh, So if if that's the case, um, why aren't they, are they, are they, I don't know. Are they reviewing the Tatis thing that he was not at all? Everybody just blew it off. 
Yeah, we yeah, played what so Bauer I, said on Sunday morning. He's the only guy that came out and said, you know what, I'm all for celebrating, running the bases, but when you start peeking at the catcher to try to get signs, then all of a sudden I, I feel like you're crossing the line. Yeah, for sure, and I do. I think that's across the line. That's why I go back. I just There's there's so many repercussions that come of it, and I guess the teams – obviously, the teams weighed out what the repercussion of was getting caught, and I guess the Dodgers have to weigh the repercussion if they have an answer to him doing that. All right. Well, I'm glad so you were honest about it. Dave, I think it's a shame, shame – you know, fool me once, shame on us. You ain't going to fool us twice, you know? Like, right. If you, you know, if you see, if we see you doing it again, then you know, you know, there's going to have to be some type of judgment. But you know, the game's being played great right now on both sides. It's entertaining. It's fun. Uh, you can't demean the performance he put up in Dodger Stadium this week, which was unbelievable. Um, you know, great baseball being played. I think there's excitement uh, in in baseball again. I hear people talking about it, and I mean. Dodgers-Padres games are must-watch TV right now in April. And what is it going to be when we come down, when the games really count towards the end of the season? That's the best part of all this, that I felt like baseball took center stage again while the Dodgers and Padres were playing each other for those four games. Every, you know, everybody talks about the NFL draft. Everybody's talking about the Lakers, Anthony Davis, LeBron. But I felt like for the first time in a long time in the month of April, the Dodgers and Major League Baseball, not Yankees, Red Sox, two teams that are not the Yankees and Red Sox, took center stage. 100%. You know what? The Tatis antics, the, the Bauer antics, they all add to the must-watch of it. As much as you, you, you might stop or be like that, but you know what? They add to it. It's fun. It's entertaining. I mean – my kids get an invite from their friends. I think the Padres are coming to town this week to play the Diamondbacks. Are getting an invite to go see uh, how my how my wife says Tatis. Yeah, I got a text from my from my from your friend, and he says she wants uh, you know little Timmy there wants to invite you to go watch some guy named Tatis play. Oh my and, gosh! You know, I, uh, and I hear in the background. I hear in the background. You mean Tatis, mom? <laughs> yeah, Tatis. So um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining. People want to see it. Uh, you can't go get it, but at the same time, there's still a right or wrong way, and there's crossing the line, um, which the line's gotten a lot longer to cross. But you know, hey, I don't like I don't like it. Dodgers uh, are still a team that has to uh, hold their ground. We know everyone's gunning for them, and we know everyone's trying to get them, and they just can't let people. Uh, you know, can't be the big brother that lets you know the little brother uh, get this cheap shot in. That's right. Perfectly said, Dre. Thanks a lot for another great episode, and we'll check back with you next week. We'll see where you go from there, and I'll let you know about my Jerry West dinner. All right, yeah. Good luck with the boom. I don't know if uh, if you'll be on uh, next week. You know, I'm, I might be too big for you after having dinner with Jerry West. No, you can come out, fly out to L.A. and or fly out to Phoenix and hold my mic for me too while we do this interview. <laughs> all right, all right. Thanks all right. a lot for another great uh, chat. Appreciate it. All right, as we always like to close out every episode of Extra Innings with our stat of the week. I know the Dodgers and Padres series was exciting. Their first seven games, the Dodgers were able to score a total of 30 runs. 
How about this? 22 of the 30 runs were off the Padres' bullpen. Whoa, blow your mind, right? Makes sense. The Padres' starters are really good. Darvish, Snell, Musgrove, those guys, Ryan Weathers, really held the Dodgers in check. But once they got to their bullpen, they were able to take advantage of them. 22 of the 30 runs off the Padres' bullpen in the first seven meetings between the Dodgers and San Diego Padres. We're taping this podcast from the broadcast booth at Dodger Stadium, and that means our producer-engineer out here, Dwayne McDonald, who is the note, who comes up with a lot of notes, including the stat of the week, is with us, Dwayne. So you'll have the honors for the second part of this. Well, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. And um, what I have for you this week is Trevor Bauer who's with the Dodgers now, was with the Reds last season. He became the first Reds pitcher to win a Cy Young Award. The Reds were the only team that were around when the award began in 1956 to not have a Cy Young winner. Now, the Dodgers, they have the most Cy Young Award winners with 12, of course, the last being Clayton Kershaw in 2014. Well, you say it a lot better than I do, so we're going to have to make this a regular thing, Dwayne. (laughs) I'm always here. All right. Cincinnati's very own Dwayne McDonald, who is a Chicago White Sox fan because his dad is from Chicago, but I always associate him with Cincinnati, and he gets very annoyed. And that's an incredible stat considering how many great pitchers pitch for the Cincinnati Reds, including Hall of Famer Tom Seaver, Tom Browning, who was a great one in the 80s. And, uh, yeah, they've had some really good pitchers over the years. So thank you for the stat of the week, Dwayne. Thanks to Colin Yee, our guy, our producer of Dodgers Radio, for being part of this. Thanks to Andre Ethier and Rick Monday for sharing their thoughts on this week's episode. They both have two things, or actually three things in common. They both went to Arizona State. They both wore 16 for the Dodgers. And now uh, they both patrolled the outfield for the Dodgers. So how about that? Three things that they have in common. And both are annoyed by me. So four things that Rick Monday and Andre Ethier have in common. You can download this podcast every week. Subscribe every week on Spotify, iTunes, and, of course, the iHeartRadio app. We'll be back next Wednesday with Episode 6 of Extra Innings presented by Corona. See ya. We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app.